right, so today is our last uh, sermon, at least for a little while, on the unlikely heroes of Scripture. And for this particular message, I chose five unlikely heroes. And there they are, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Joanna, Susanna, and Salome. So you really have to look closely through Scripture to realize that the the, the five women that were closest to Jesus in his ministry are named by name. And lots of times it, it'll read like two of them, like Mary and Joanna, and then it'll say, and the others, or and many others. And so I just, by the end of the, the message, I just had to call it a celebration of women. Yeah, okay. <laughs> So we, I'm going to tell you about a couple of these women that we know more about, but I just want to say first that it is of great interest to me that there was a group of women who loved Jesus and served Jesus in a significant way. And the way that I'm going to talk about that, if you can sort of imagine the outline of this message, is a series of concentric circles as we get deeper and deeper and deeper into how significant it was that their connection to Jesus and Jesus' connection to them. In order to fully appreciate the way that Jesus honored and included women in his ministry, you have to begin with the broad view. And the broad view is you have to understand what it was like to be a woman in first century culture. It was tough. I mean, the Jewish society was decidedly patriarchal. In other words, it was all geared toward men. It was all run by men. In fact, the daily prayers of a Jewish man could often and easily include this prayer of thanksgiving, praise be to God that he has not created me a woman. Like, they really actually prayed that. I mean, and literally in the first century, a woman's place was in the home. A woman was responsible for bearing children and rearing children, and she was responsible for maintaining a hospitable home environment. Some of the Jewish writers during Jesus' time, such as Philo, taught that a woman should never leave her home except to go to the synagogue. And if they did leave, a woman would never talk to a man, and a man would never approach a woman in public. I mean, to do that would be to defy every social norm of the day. Making matters worse, women had little access to property, they had little legal standing, and they had little power in society. Any money that a woman would earn belonged to her husband, which is kind of the way it works in our house, too. Any man could legally divorce a woman for any reason. He would just give her a, a certificate of divorce. But a woman could not divorce her husband. It didn't look much matter uh, different when it came to matters of faith. Men were required to pray certain daily prayers. Women were not. The study of the Scripture was hugely important for men. But guess what? Women were not allowed to study the sacred text. Rabbi Eliezer, a first century teacher, is noted for saying, the words, I would rather the words of the Torah be burned 
than entrusted to a woman. Even in the synagogues, when they go in the synagogues, the men would sit on one side, the women on another, and the women were not permitted to read out loud. My point is that if you don't understand the culture of the first century, you won't get how amazing Jesus is. I mean, how radical he was when it came to women and the role of women. He, he defied every expectation. He had a completely different perspective, which is so evident through the way that he interacted with women throughout his public ministry. It's a huge contrast when you see women in the ministry of Jesus as opposed to women as regarded by that culture. So I'm going to give you several examples. I would love to give you tons of examples, but we just don't have time. But I'm going to give you five anyway, so we're going to run quickly through them. So the first woman's an unnamed woman. This is in the Gospel of Luke. And she's been crippled for 18 years. She's bent over. She can't stand up. And Jesus has mercy on her, and he heals her. But it's on the Sabbath. And the ruler of the synagogue of the, that they were at takes particular offense at Jesus healing this woman on the Sabbath. He defends the woman and puts down the synagogue ruler. He looks at him and says, if you had a donkey fall into a pit, wouldn't you pull him out? Like if he needed water, wouldn't you give him water? And then he addresses this woman with an amazing level of dignity. And this is what he says when he looks back over at her. She's looking at the synagogue ruler. He says these words. She's a daughter of Abraham. Now, it was common for men to be called sons of Abraham, right? And that recognized the fact that they were bound by covenant to God. But women had never been called daughters of Abraham. And with that, her healing became more than physical. Here's a second example, probably more familiar to you. It's John 4. Jesus is at the well. Much to his embarrassment of, of the disciples, much to the confusion of the disciples, Jesus initiates a conversation with a woman. And she isn't just a woman, she's also a foreigner. So it's just kind of like a, a double whammy. And even she's shocked by the fact that he talks to her. And this is what she says. She says, how can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan, for a drink? She's confused too. Jesus not only enters into a prolonged dialogue with her, but he does so recognizing her thirst for the truth. And at the end of that conversation, he reveals his identity as the Messiah. I mean, what greater honor could he have given to anyone? And all this is going on. The disciples are watching, and they're just as confused as everybody else. And they're like, what are you doing? <laughs> What do you, why are you, why are you talking with her? This is not right. This is not what men do with, with women. And yet this is what Jesus did. He honored her. And John, in his gospel, he doesn't hesitate to let us know the end of the story. Now, in first century culture, in a religious court, a woman could not testify. Okay. I mean, her, her testimony would not be considered trustworthy. 
But John says that this Samaritan woman went back into her village and she gave testimony to Jesus as the Messiah. And because of her words, many people believed. Can you see the way that Jesus just took this outcast, this immoral foreign woman, and lifted her up and honored her? Think about the woman caught in adultery in John 8. And the, and, the, and the compassion that he treated her with. Or think about, here's really a good one. This is Luke 8, 43. There's a woman who's been bleeding for years. And so, okay, she's menstruating. And now in that, according to Jewish law, if you were menstruating, you were ritually unclean. And so that meant like you could not go to the temple. In fact, if you touched anything or anybody in that condition, then they were unclean. And so Jesus is going through a crowd and this lady who's been bleeding for like a dozen years, she, she touches Jesus and then he stops. And then she's like, uh-oh, <laughs> because she realizes that he knows that she touched him. And he looks at her, and he, he asks for the story. She doesn't want to tell her story, but she was instantly healed. And, she, you know, I'm, I'm sure she's thinking, he's going to be so mad. I've made him unclean. She didn't make him unclean. He made her holy. He says nothing of her ritual impurity. This is all that Jesus has to say to her. His daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So once again, the one that the law shamed, the one that the culture considered an outcast is the very one that Jesus lifted up and honored. Think of the woman at Luke 7. This is probably the most dramatic example. They're at a dinner party. Jesus is at the dinner party of a prominent religious leader. It's a dinner party. And this lady comes in, and she's crying, and she falls at Jesus' feet, and she starts wiping, cleaning his feet. Like, her tears are the water, and her hair is the rag, and in between the tears and the wiping, she's kissing his feet. Okay, I just want to say, super-duper awkward, I just want to say, I don't care if you're at a dinner party. I don't care where you are. Like, you're at your family table. There's a lady kissing your feet. I'm just saying, that's weird, okay, for anybody. And so the, the, the religious leader is looking at Jesus, and this is what he's thinking. He doesn't say it out loud, but he's thinking, if this man were a prophet, he'd know what sort of woman that is touching him, that she's a sinner, it is so interesting because Jesus, in response, once again, vigorously defends the woman and, and sorely puts down the religious leader. He says, I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet. She's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me the customary kiss, the greeting. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, she's put perfume on my feet, and therefore I tell you, her sins have been forgiven. Her many sins have been forgiven. For whoever has been forgiven little loves little Pharisee. 
I could go on, but I think you get the point. I can't find a recorded instance where Jesus disgraces, belittles, reproaches, or stereotypes a woman. He consistently honors and blesses and heals and lifts them up. Amen. Church of Jesus. So I'm going to take you a step deeper in. It wasn't just that Jesus ministered to women in his ministry, but clearly he had women that were disciples. And that may sound shocking to you, but I, and I'll give you the evidence by which I say that. We're in Matthew 12. Jesus is teaching a large crowd of people. And it says that his mother and his brothers were outside the place they were in where he was teaching. And there was, the crowd was too big and they couldn't get inside. And so they sent in a representative or they passed the word through the crowd to say, hey, your mother and your, and, and your brothers are here. Would you see them? And this is what Jesus says in response. Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples. Who did he point to? His. He said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Okay, think about that. Would Jesus have included masculine and feminine? Would he have said brother and sister and mother if he didn't include women as his disciples? His pointing would have made no difference. Wouldn't have made no sense. It wouldn't have made no sense. Fresh off vacation, baby. <laughs> I've been with the four-year-old. <laughs> Wouldn't make no sense. I'll give you one more discipleship example, and I think this is this one's pretty cool. And I know you know the story. It's in Luke 10. It's the story of Mary and Martha. So they're sisters. And again, this is once again, Jesus and company and a large crowd are in their house, and they're responsible for entertaining. And Martha is a hair-on-fire hostess. I mean, <laughs> amen. There, there are people that need to eat. And there are people that need to be cared for and served. And then she's dying, okay? And she looks over at her sister, and her sister's like on a different wavelength, like maybe a whole other planet. Jesus is teaching, and Mary's just sitting at his feet, soaking it in. And it took me a really long time to realize this is not a story that pits, you know, type A's. <laughs> The type A's with the gift of hosting <laughs> against the more laid back, reflective and relational people. All right, this is, this is not, that's not what the story is about. To sit at the feet of a rabbi meant you were his disciple. That's the, that's the position the male disciple took. And so when Martha looks at her sister sitting there and explodes because she needs some help, Jesus blesses and defends Mary. This is what he says. Mary has chosen the better part and will not be taken from her. What he is saying is that Mary is acting as a disciple, and I honor her for that. So radical. 
Not, not just that he interacted with women, but that he had women that he considered disciples. But it gets deeper. He had women that were his supporters. I, this is... <laughs> They, were, they supported him, and it says they ministered to him. So this is Luke 8, 1 through 3, and we'll read it. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. That was always his message. And the 12 were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. And then it names them. There was Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. So Mary uh, was from Magdala. <laughs> That's why she's called Mary Magdalene. And she'd been healed by Jesus and healed in seven different ways. And who knows, when, when people are healed uh, from demonic possession in the New Testament, it can mean a wide variety of things. But Mary is clearly the leader of the band of women. In the same way that Peter was the, the leader of the 12 male disciples, Mary is the leader of the women. She gets an amazing amount of attention in Scripture. There are 59 verses. You put the four Gospels together, she gets 59 verses related to and involving her. 59 verses. That's more than like most of the male disciples. She gets an amazing amount of just scriptural real estate. Even so, we don't know a whole lot about her personality, history, or character. We know she had a past. I'm, I'm glad we don't know what the past was. But she was healed. Okay, so 500 years later, Pope Gregory I gives a homily. And he says... That Mary Magdalene was the sexually repentant sinner in Luke 7. Okay, she could have been. Well, she could have not have been. Like, there's just no direct evidence tying Mary to that. But once he opened that door, that door never got closed. So art loves literature and social media love to depict Mary Magdalene as a prostitute or a love interest of Christ or even his wife because we live in a sick world that needs to sexualize everything. And that, those comments about Mary Magdalene say a whole lot more about the world we live in than they do about Mary. What we know about Mary from Scripture is that she was healed and she was a devoted follower of Jesus and that God in turn honored her in a spectacular way. In this band of women, there was Mary, and then a second one is named Joanna. She's the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. And then there's Susanna, and, men, and there it is, and many others. But look at what happens next. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. These were the women that bankrolled the traveling ministry of Jesus. Did you know that? And this Joanna is really an interesting character because, I mean, obviously she was healed in some profound way, and then she became a follower, and she traveled with Jesus and company, but she is simultaneously an insider in the court of Herod. She's a first century noblewoman. 
She's undoubtedly has some access to funds. She's undoubtedly upper class. She married Shusa, who sort of manages the, uh, the household of Herod Antipas. Okay, Herod Antipas was a ruler in Galilee, not king of Galilee. That's a different Herod, but they were brothers. And, and Herod Antipas was famous for his laziness, which is why he never got uh, executed by his brother. <laughs> so, so her husband's managing that very political, very complicated, very wealthy household. And so we know that she knows like the help. Right? She knows the royal household. She, if she wanted access, she could have access to all the information she wanted that was going on politically. She was well-connected. She was influential. And in that way, you know, maybe at times she could kind of protect Jesus in subtle ways. And it is possible, I'm just going to throw this out there. We don't know, and so this is a guess. But a lot of the insider information during his trial and crucifixion, it might have come through Joanna. Because she had access to buildings and she was politically connected to people that regular Galileans couldn't get close to. So you have this Mary, you have this Susanna, right? You have this Joanna and they supported the ministry of Jesus. But, but, but they didn't just support him financially. They cared for him. And, this, and I'm, I'm going to read it to you. So this is from Mark 15. This is during the crucifixion. And so it says some of the women were watching from a distance and then it names some names, which is why I picked this text. Mary Magdalene. So they're watching him be crucified. Mary, the mother of James, the younger and of Joseph and Salome. Look, in Galilee, these women had followed him and ministered to him. And there's the many other, many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were there also. Is that not amazing? Do you, do you ever remember uh, in the New Testament reading that the men ministered to him? <laughs> I, I, I'm just saying, men, we're not that good at that. Okay, right, So I remember once he asked, and that was in Gethsemane. He's like, please. He asked three times, right? Please, please pray for me. And I just fell asleep. They supported his ministry. They made it possible. They ministered to him personally. And Jesus, in turn, blessed them in an amazing way. He heaps up honors on them. And I'll tell you the first great honor that he gave these women is that they were the first ones to witness the resurrection. In every gospel, the women are the first ones to witness the resurrection. They're the first ones to believe. Like, what greater honor could God give them than that? So I'm going to read it to you. This one is from Mark. When the Sabbath was over, and again, I chose Mark because he names names. When the Sabbath was over, these were the women that went to the tomb. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome. Now, that's not, it was more than that, but he just mentions three. And they brought spices so they might go up to anoint Jesus' body. And very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they were like, well, who's going to roll the stone back? Because, you know, <laughs> the stone's big. But when they looked up and they saw the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled away. 
And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. And he says, don't be alarmed. He said, you're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. The first to witness the resurrection. And guess what? And this is one of the greatest honors of all. They were the first to share the gospel. Luke picks up where Mark leaves off with the angel saying, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. And then we learn a few verses later when they came back. So this group of women, they experienced this. When they came back from the tomb, they told these things to the 11. They're the first ones to share the gospel and to all the others. And he names names. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna. So now Joanna's there. So Joanna was at the tomb along with Salome and Mary and Mary. We know these things for sure. And then he says, and the others who told this to the apostles. They didn't listen. Well, I mean, it's a lot to take in. I'm going to give it to them for that. It, it, it goes on to say, because it sounded like nonsense to them. They're the first to witness the resurrection and they're the first to share the gospel. I see it as a reward for their faithfulness. All these things, they're messages to us. We need to listen to women's voices. We need to use women's gifts. We need to honor and esteem them in the same way that Jesus Christ did. Where would the church be without the blessing of the women that sit in this room this morning? Amen. Would you stand, women? Would you just stand for me? Just stand in your seat. And men, would you give it up for them? Thank you. God created you. God honors you. God wants to use you. But it's, you know what? It's even bigger than that. He wants to use anybody who's ready and willing to rely on him, man or woman. And you learn from just these stories. It doesn't matter if you have a past. It doesn't matter if how broken you were or how broken you are. It doesn't matter. It didn't matter if you were a Jew or a Gentile. It didn't matter what country you were from. It didn't matter what the, what the world thought of someone. It didn't matter what the church thought about someone. It didn't matter what faith they came from. God honors all those who genuinely seek him. How we do too. We need to do this. This is my hope and my prayer and my, my plea. Remember when Jesus was on his way into Jerusalem and he stopped and he looked over that city and he just wept. I look over at the church of Jesus Christ and so many times I want to weep. I'm not talking about looking over America. I mean, America is lost and will always be lost. But I look at the church of Jesus and I want to weep. Where is the culture of Jesus that honors and blesses and lifts everyone up? That, that sees people as valuable and treats them that way and speaks to them that way. 
The church of Jesus should be that place where people can find refuge, where they can find hope, where they can find healing, where they can find inclusion, where they can find meaning in a world that will give them none. And that is my prayer for New Path Church, that we would be the very culture of Jesus in this crazy world we live in. Amen. 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 God bless.